Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 33. The Apostles' Creed confesses that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. Last week we looked at his crucifixion. Today we will look at his death, and Lord willing, next week we will look at his burial. Let's begin reading in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he Breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Amen. Thus, the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. There are a lot of things that I'm decently gifted at, but art is not one of them. I was probably one of the only elementary kids that got below an A in art class. And that is really hard to do. Generally, if you show up and do a decent job, you will get an A by the art teacher. But for the art teacher to give me an A would have been a travesty to the grading system as a whole. I really believe that I was that bad and still am. So I'm not an artist or artistic, but I admire people that are. And there's many in this congregation that are very skilled. As artists. But even I know that if you were to paint a picture of this scene that we just read, it would not be with bright and airy and light colors, but rather it would be a portrait of darkness. One such painting that I recently saw entitled Sacrificial Grace that just used colors to try to depict this scene used the colors as you would expect of black and navy blue and other shades of black and blue with a little bit of crimson red. And those are all appropriate colors. But to really depict this scene rightly, it should probably be painted completely black. There's a reason why death is associated with the color black. And yet, if you were to make a portrait with only that color, it wouldn't be interesting art, would it? Again, the very reason why I'm not an artist. But this scene is one of 
darkness and of despair. With the whole land being covered in darkness. And darkness ultimately is the absence of something, isn't it? It's the absence of light. But light is not the only thing that is absent in this picture, in this passage. You have the absence of the Father's presence. And ultimately you have the absence of life with the death of our Lord. And so darkness and gloom portrays this scene rightly. But at the very end, even with the death of Jesus, we see just a glimmer, the first dawn of light, as it were, a glimmer of hope, because this absence brings about a presence, a special presence thus far unknown to mankind, given here in and through the death of our Lord. And so we'll look at this passage just under those two simple points, absence and then second, presence. But first, we see the absence. Last week we looked at the torture and the abuse and the humiliation of the cross leading up to this moment, the death of Jesus. As I said before and will say again, there is no more important event in history than what takes place in this passage. This is the supreme event. This is the hinge upon which all of eternity turns. So it is upon us to give our full and reverential attentiveness and thoughtfulness to it. Indeed, this is a sacred text. This is hallowed ground upon which we walk. With the drops of blood that our Lord shed. And as I said before, as Jesus hangs upon the cross, there are three absence. And the first is the absence of light. And you notice that there in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the Ninth hour. The sixth hour would have been 12 noon. High noon as we call it. When the sun is in its highest point of its orbit. And yet on this day there was no sun. There was no light. There was only darkness. And it's not as if it was just a cloudy or a shady day. Notice the complete absence of light. All of us experienced something similar of this just a few months ago at the solar eclipse. And we had here a partial eclipse, but there were places farther north that experienced a total eclipse. But even that total eclipse was only for a moment. This was for three hours from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, or from 12 noon to approximately 3 p.m. And so what did this sign of darkness represent? Well, it represented several things. It represented, I think, the creation groaning at the sight of the crucifixion of Christ. As Romans 8 says, creation is subject to futility because of the fall. 
And even it longs, even groans for the day of redemption. Longing for the day when it too will be free from havoc and destruction and made anew. And Christ is the means of that redemption. But even as that crucifixion that will bring about that redemption for the creation takes place, it is as if life is being taken out of creation itself. It's like a light bulb that is growing dim and goes completely out. Or is an ember that fades, so the whole world here goes black. That sun that represents life to creation, hides its face, as it were, from the horrific sight of its maker being crucified there upon the cross. And this darkness also represents that the true light, the light of the world is being put to death. You remember how John puts it in his prologue to his gospel, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. But then it goes on to say he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. You see what John is saying there. He's saying that the the light, Jesus, the true light of the world, the one that came to enlighten everyone, came to his own, but his own not only did not receive him, but they crucified him, as we see here. And so this darkness represents the, the true evil of this event, the wickedness of crucifying the Messiah, the slaying of the King, that the only man not worthy of death is now being put to death. And so this darkness, again, represents the darkness of the human heart and mind. If it were not for the grace and mercy of God, sin would utterly destroy the world and we would destroy each other. The only reason why we're still here is because of God's mercy upon us. And so if you ever think that the sin of Adam or even your sin is really not that big a deal then I would challenge you to meditate upon the cross again. To meditate upon this scene. As the hymn writer puts it so eloquently, ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here, talking about the cross, may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt you may estimate. That it's here that we see the true nature of evil. That this darkness is not just metaphorically dark. But it is literally dark. The darkness is literally displayed as the sun ceases to shine. As the light of the world is being put to death. And so we have the absence of light. Second, we see the absence of the presence of God. That is the second void here. And we see it as the Son being forsaken by the Father. And we find these words of Christ, the only words that Mark records of Jesus on the cross. We know from the other Gospels that there were other things that were said, but for Mark, these are the only words that he records. 
And he records them in Aramaic so that we may have the full effect of them. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And these words are the words that are written because I think they demonstrate the worst parts. The worst suffering that Jesus endured on the cross was not the crown of thorns. It was not the scourging or the mocking. It was not the insults or even the crucifixion itself. But it was this. It was the Father turning His back upon His only Son, His only begotten Son. Turning His favorable presence from His Son to now only experience the fullness of His fury and of His wrath. We do not understand that. We cannot fully understand that because we have never experienced the presence of God like Jesus Christ experienced it. It would be as if I tried to tell you of the the most wonderful place, the greatest place on earth that I've ever been. You could understand it to some degree, but if you have never been there yourself, then it would be hard for you to comprehend. And it's similar to that here. That we know something of relationship with God, but we do not understand it to the same degree as Christ the Son understood it. Because not only was His relationship with God perfect all the time, but this Father-Son relationship existed eternally. And yet there is somehow mysteriously at this time a divide, a a break, if we can put it in those terms, within the Trinity itself. As the Father turns upon the Son. And that is far worse than that of nails and spears. And that is why any portrayal of the crucifixion of Christ, either in portrait or upon movie screens, is woefully insufficient because it cannot capture the worst part. The worst part is that which is unseen. It is the spiritual aspect of the agony of the cross, which is only captured in these words, these words of the cross, the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? It's the absence of the favorable presence of God. Only sensing and feeling the full weight, the burden of being the sin bearer. With the infinite wrath of God being poured out upon him. A mere man could not sustain this moment because it was an infinity of punishment. It was an infinity and eternity of wrath poured out upon that very moment. Any mere man would have been obliterated in a moment. And yet there was no one to intercede for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no one to rescue him. Not Elijah, as many falsely upon that day thought he was calling. Not God the Father. Not God the Spirit. Not the angels. Nor anyone or anything in all of creation. He's abandoned. Forsaken. 
left alone, experiencing the full devastation of that moment. So we have the absence of the presence, the favorable presence of God. Third, we have the absence of life. Another way of saying death. As life drains from the body, death sets in. Death is the absence of light, just as darkness is the absence of light. It's the result of not having the other. And yet, isn't that one of the great ironies of the crucifixion of Christ? That the one that had given all of creation life, even those that were crucifying him at this very moment, crucify the author of life. And the author of life here dies. So it says in verse 37, breathes his last. And he dies not because of a loss of blood or even a loss of breath, but because the Lord Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life. Literally life. Life with a capital L gave himself over to death. That's what we mean when we say Christ died. And so we see this absence of light. We see this absence of presence. We see this absence of life itself. It is only darkness. To be painted on a canvas would only to be able to paint it with the color black. And whereas this experience was unique to the Son of Man as the sin bearer, there is at least a sense, at least in part, something that we experience as well with the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt you've perhaps experienced it in your life. Perhaps you're experiencing it now. When the light of life, the, the glow of this world has left. And there's that feeling of being enclosed. When everything seems dark, everything seems dim. That sense of being forsaken, abandoned, all alone. That sense of presence being far away, be it the presence of others or the presence of Almighty God Himself. Even that sense of what Christ experienced when He said, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? That feeling as if Your words and prayers barely make it past Your lips. Wondering if there is an ear in heaven that listens or receives them. Perhaps there's times in your life that it's gotten so bad there is even a longing for death itself. That death may be better than continuing on with life and with these feelings. Have you been to such a place? Have you been in such darkness that you know of these feelings even in which I speak. I utter despair. 
that loss, that longing for it to end. And these thoughts, even as we saw last week, are not absent from the Christian life. For we read in the scripture other believers that experience the exact same thing as that. I love the honesty of the Psalms and of the Psalter. And there is a psalm in the psalm book, Psalm 88, which is called the dark horse of the Psalter. And it goes like this, O Lord God, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayers come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like those that one sets loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those that have been remembered No more. And it ends this way. My only companion is the darkness. And you might read such a psalm and you think, should that be in the Bible? That's not positive. That's not uplifting. That is dark and melancholy. The answer is yes. It demonstrates the honesty and the raw emotions that a true believer feels. That sense of, is there any hope? And there are times that we experience this. There's times that you've experienced this. These are thoughts, to be honest with you, that I have thought myself. Even recently, struggling with the things that myself and my family have been going through. And the health of my wife. And no doubt you've experienced such things and such times as well. And you wonder, is there any hope? Is there any light? I tell you this day, the hope is found here in this passage. It's found in the death of the Son of God. That as the author of life breathes his last, we experience something that we can experience nowhere else than right here. And we experience it and understand it again only in part. As I said before, we have a sense of what Christ experienced, but we do not understand the full depth, nor could we. Because what Christ experienced here at the cross and upon his death was hell itself. Not metaphorically hell, but literal hell. Because what is hell? If we were to describe it, we would describe it as we described it here with the absence, the absence of light, the absence of the favorable presence of God, the absence of life itself. It's essentially the absence of God, the absence of his kindness, the absence of his mercy, all of which Christ took and endured. And did so for us. So that we would never have to. Because yes, there are in times. That we experience in this life. When we feel like we are going through hell. 
and it can be bad, and I do not want to diminish it for a second. But even at its very worst, it's only metaphorically hell and not literal hell. Why? Because Christ has already done that for us. And he did it here. And so if you are in Christ this morning, here is the good news that even in the bleakest of moments, you will never experience hell. In this life, and especially not in the next. That you will never be without God. That you will never be without His grace and mercy. That Christ experienced the absence of So that we can experience what we see second here then the presence. The presence of Almighty God. And that is the gleam of light. In this portrait of darkness, this is the streak of light that comes through. And we see it here symbolically as it takes place in the 38th verse. That the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. That curtain, that veil that separated mankind from the presence of God as it was displayed and contained in the temple was done away with. That which was there to keep one out now beckons for all to come in. To come into the full presence of God. To experience God only as those in the Old Testament that were high priest experienced. And only that on the day of atonement. Going into the Holy of Holies. Because of what Christ did, because of His atonement, we now enter into the full presence of God. This moment and for all of eternity. And as we do so, we enter into that light. We enter into the truth. We enter into the source of truth, which is the Lord Jesus Christ itself. And we leave the darkness of this world. We leave the deception of this world. We leave the darkness and deception of our own sin. And we walk in the light. Even as He is in the light. As we walk in the newness of this truth. And lights. And we enter into this favorable presence of God. And we enter into this new special relationship that we could not experience apart from Christ. That Jesus Christ was forsaken and abandoned so that we will never be. Tim Keller fellow PCA pastor writes this. This is the only time in all of the Gospels where Christ prays to God but doesn't call Him Father. Instead, He says, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And Keller goes on to say, Jesus lost His relationship with the Father so that we may have a relationship with God as our Father. So that we can go to Him in prayer. Praying our Father who art in heaven. We have that special relationship. Like Christ had. 
that father-son, that father-daughter relationship with God because Christ was forsaken on the cross. And just as you would never forget your child or your grandchild, then how much more will God not forget us in all of life and even in death? And that is what we enter into as well. Not only the light, not only the presence of God, but we enter into life. As Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and even more abundantly. That the Christian will never die. Yes, the body may die, but life is not merely contained in the body. It's contained in Christ, who is our life. And so the believer goes from life to greater life. The death is merely a transport to that which is far greater. As Paul would say to us, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Don't you see that in the light of the darkness of this passage, you might want to think that darkness and death are the victors. And if it were not for Christ Jesus, they would be. But as Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so let me ask you, Christian, at this moment, what do you lack? Even in the darkest or bleakest moments, does God remove his truth from you? No, his truth is always there. His promises are always true. Does he remove his presence from you? No, his fatherly presence is always with you. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. His love and mercy and grace are given in overabundance. Does he ever remove life from you? No, he gives you greater life. And abundantly so. For all of eternity. So therefore we can say with the Apostle Paul. That our afflictions, no matter how terrible, how bad they may be, are merely light and momentary because they have a purpose. They are preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. Only Christ can take the worst and make it the best. Take the worst and use it for a greater purpose. And he proves it here at the cross. And so, even as we move on from this passage, we need to come back to this again and again and again. As Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish pastor, once said, for every one look at self, we need to look ten times to Christ. We especially need to look to Him, to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that is why we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified in the cross. Because that is where we see God in a special way. As we see here, Christ taking hell for us so that we need not, nor ever will. So that we would receive His blessing, we would receive His love, that we would receive His life, all of which is ours in Christ this day. 
The reformers had a phrase and it became the motto for the Reformation. It was post-Tenebras Lux. After darkness, light. That in the darkest of moments, the hope of God, the hope of the gospel shines through yet again. And here in this passage, in this portrait of darkness, do we not see that glimmer of light shining through for all to believe that Christ took the fullness of darkness so that we can receive his light and his life and his presence all by his death. In other words, by his death, we have all that we need. At this very moment, in this very life, and even in death, and for all of eternity. Amen. Let us go to him even now. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all of these good things that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. In many ways, they are overwhelming to us. Our heart cannot contain them. Our, our mind cannot even think or dwell upon them enough. For Lord, why would you, such a one, die for us? Lord, it is mystery all that God was crucified for sinners such as we. But Lord, we thank you that through it we receive all of your blessings and your grace and your goodness. We pray that we would receive it now. Lord, that not only would we receive it unto eternal life for all of those that believe, but Lord, that it would be a comfort and a hope to us in the midst of the darkness of the life, in the midst of despair and the agony that we may go through. May we there look once again and see that your presence is with us, that you grant us your grace, that your mercy abounds to us. And we receive it richly in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.